0: Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units, stand by for On Patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTDR 89.7 FM.
1: Good morning. Thanks for joining us and thanks for tuning in this morning for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on wtbr 89.7 fm pittsfield community radio simulcast on pittsfield community television my name is mike Wynn. i am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly radio show and i'm also the chief of police here in the city of pittsfield hey lieutenant
0: morning how are you good chief how you doing i'm all right (laughs) that's a lie I'm yeah not, I was just i'm gonna not gonna say our, you're not convincing right yeah, now.
1: no we'll talk about that in a bit but relative to the weather report so i had the morning news program on and i'm um, looking at the weather map al roker is uh it just by the way you know al roker just shared with the the country and the world that he's just been diagnosed with prostate cancer and he's gonna uh, be, gonna be going to be undergoing a uh, be out for a couple of weeks, so our our thoughts with Al, right? They, he's a guy who shares his health challenges publicly, like on the regular. I really admire him for that. Um, so, good luck, Al. I'm looking at the weather map, and it's cold and snowy in California, and seventy in New England. Twenty twenty, right? I'll take it. Twenty twenty. <laughs> um, so it's a couple a couple items from the news and I don't want to you know th- we all know what's been like leading the news cycle for the week and I don't even want to talk about it we'll get into that when we get to some of our operational stuff later um but there's we're gonna have a health update and relative to the health update two more local restaurants uh at least temporarily if shut down because of contact reports or, or secondary contact reports and we haven't talked about it yet on the program but um as a result you know partly as a result of the pandemic one of my favorite local eateries announced recently that they're going to be closing before the end of the year uh Flav- flavors of Malaysia which is owned by my friends Chin and Sabrina will be closing in December um uh, just because you know they couldn't keep up and I'm heartbroken about that like prior to the pandemic I ate lunch at flavors you know, on average once if not twice a week Really? <laughs> right? so um that's that's tearing me up but you know I, I wish the best to chin and sabrina um
0: it's sad to see local businesses especially uh, yeah you it's know, it's just standing or, or well and or well-liked and and not just
1: you know if for for our listeners and viewers you know the the food that it, it flavors is amazing to the point where i when i was in there last week i asked sabrina if after they close she makes this chicken ginger noodle soup that i swear is the best cure-all for any type of like respiratory cold flu stuff knocks it right out of you and i asked her if i bring her the uh, ingredients if she'll still cook it for me after they close and she promised me she would so i'm okay with that but um you know chin and sabrina are not just fabulous chefs and, and restaurateurs. They're just great people uh chin and i normally when we do walk a mile we walk together and you know they're just always out there fundraising any family that's been in distress in the last 15 years um you know they've done something for so good luck to them uh and i'm just going to pivot from there to our health update because you know this is this is what is impacting pretty much all of us right now so welcome back dr kohlberg Thank you, uh, Chief. How uh, are you one, today?
2: I'm um, never better. Hold on a second. I <laughs> have to answer this quick call. No problem. Uh, um, not right now. I'll <laughs> you
0: back <that> later. <laughs> <This> <laughs> radio in real time.
1: <laughs> so, th- this is kind of a cool introduction to this because that
0: must be what it's like for you. You know,
1: uh, <laughs> you,
2: you know, for uh, the bad. The good news is my phone works, and the bad news is my phone, phone works.
1: works. Yeah, you know, I i think we were talking uh last week or the week before that you know march april i felt like i was exchanging text messages and phone calls and emails with you daily and then you know the summer kind of tapered off and we were okay and for the last two weeks it's back to where we were in march and april
2: (laughs) that's that's true
1: for a bunch of reasons but um I'm just going to turn this over to you and you can kind of give us a state of affairs what's what and then the lieutenant and i'll talk about how this has been impacting the department this week sure after uh after you do your report so sure catch us up where are we with COVID? okay
2: where are we uh well there has been a dramatic rise in cases in the Ber- in berkshire county and that's been pretty sobering we are like the chief said we are uh feeling like we're back in uh, march and april uh, we have worked very hard to get to the advantageous point that we were at just a couple of weeks ago. And we do not want to lose any more ground. We've worked pretty hard to get to the, the pla- uh, to get to the place that we uh, have been at. And um, this uh, the thrust of my uh, uh, comments this morning are going to be about people taking the public health recommendations seriously so that we can get back uh, to a a better position. Uh, Our public health nurses are out straight right now they're working. They're working like crazy to do contact tracing. Contact tracing is the guts of our battle against the pandemic. It involves calling people um, and then uh, who who are have been exposed and then calling people who were exposed to them. It is, it is a lot of uh, phone calls and uh, detail work and I give them a ton of credit for all the work that they've been doing to uh, hang this together. So, the, I will, there have been a lot of numbers thrown around this week. With respect to the governor's orders and it restricting the number of people who can gather in one place, and I will only burden you with one number, and that number is to, to remember is ten, and that is the number, the maximum number of people who can uh, congregate in a private residence, uh, and uh, no more than that, and that of course is going to have an impact on Thanksgiving and probably Christmas, uh, you know we all who doesn't love Thanksgiving and we have a lot of family over and friends. And it's not uncommon to have 20, 25 people over to um, to one uh, residence during the holiday. But this year, it should be no more than 10. And 10 is not a magic number, I want to emphasize that. So even though 10 is the maximum that one can have in a private residence, uh, even if there's three or four people, if those three or four people uh, come from different households that is going to increase the risk of spread. So can I, can I
1: just cl- yes, ask go you ahead. To follow up on that and kind of a clarification. We got a message sent to us via social media last night. Um which, you know, if if you're the originator of this message, we're we're happy to pass it on. But we're not the health police, so you know we get it. But you just said ten is the maximum number under the regulations that are going into effect today for private residences. Right, they went into effect at twelve oh one this morning. Commercial properties are still set by percentage of building capacity, correct?
2: Right. Well, there's there's difference. Uh, what's called sector-specific guidances. And there's guidances for restaurants and for um, other personal service type of uh, venues, retail um, establishments. And, um, you know, frankly, I have to look those things up. I
1: can't can't keep all those numbers in my head. So Uh, just on this this tip, my point is, for the person who sent us the message about a local restaurant, that number 10... Is for private residences. It doesn't have to do anything with restaurants. Restaurants are limited by percentage of capacity, and that changes from restaurant to restaurant. So, thank you, and we'll pass it on to health, but not actually the number that we're interested in.
2: Yeah, and as <coughs> as, as uh, regards restaurants, restaurants now have to stop serving people at nine thirty. Uh, if you walk into a restaurant at nine twenty and order and are waiting to be served, you have to be out of the premises by 10 o'clock. Uh, and uh, it also in that vein, there is the governor issued a stay-at-home order, uh, which is in effect from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., the only exceptions being people who have to be out between those hours because of work. So, um, you know, we are, we are back we are backpedaling somewhat here in terms of our um, freedom to move about, but that those restrictions are well grounded in in the need to get a a handle on this pandemic. Again, 10 maximum indoors and in private residences. uh, But 10 is not a magic number. And keep in mind if you are, if a number of people from different households are coming together, it, it could still result in spread and just to give you a a a graphic idea of what of how quickly things can spread if you um, are in a house where there's five people and one person is infected and that person infects three or four people well each of those people then goes back to their own home and they can infect people in their own houses and if they continue to congregate with people in 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 other venues uh be they in be that in restaurants or in other people's houses you can see how quickly this ever expanding circle of contacts can develop so uh, it's um it it, it really can it's it's like a brush fire it it can spread very quickly this the schools are okay the schools are in good shape at this point uh, uh in in large part due to um, the efforts of the school administration, uh, but if the number of cases in our community continue to spread, schools could be jeopardized uh, because uh, kids um, go, uh, come from homes and homes, if uh, somebody in the home, an adult becomes infected, a child brings it into the class, it is only a matter of time before you have spread within the classroom and also um, and, and that could result in a shutdown of a class or a shutdown of a school. Um, the bar is set high for the closure of schools. in other words, uh, a superintendent alone or a board of health alone or a school committee alone is not going to shut down a school. That is going to be a collaborative decision between the the Department of Health and the school committee and the superintendent. And the Department of S- Secondary and Elementary e- Elementary and Secondary Education, so that will be a collaborative decision because it is a very big decision. Uh, if that if it comes to a pass, that that might be necessary. Um, <clears throat> um, let me move on to testing. We have had a very close rela- we have, in the Health Department have had a very close relationship with the uh, testing. Uh, program at Berkshire Medical Center. And the Berkshire Medical Center is committed to testing anybody who calls up who feels that, who says that they have been a close contact of somebody who has um, uh, tested positive, or even if they have a strong suspicion that they've been a close contact of somebody who is COVID positive. Now, what defines a close contact? You may have heard these numbers, but it uh, is worth repeating again. Close contact means that you have been within six feet of somebody for 15 minutes, cumulatively over 24 hours. So you do not have to be exposed to somebody who is COVID positive for 15 consecutive minutes. If you are uh, working in in an office area and are in somebody's presence who turns out to be positive and you've been in their presence for three minutes, five times within a 24 hour period, uh, that is considered 15 minutes. So that bar has been lowered lowered, or I should say, the threshold has been lowered for doing testing on people who previously may have thought they were not close contacts. So if you feel that you have been exposed you, or you know that you've been exposed to somebody with coronavirus, um, you should call BMC to get tested i want to stress that we are strongly recommending that people use the bmc testing facility which is now located at st luke's plaza um, the corner of east and elm and um, uh, they do a test there called the pcr test which is the gold standard test Uh, not all places who are doing testing are using that test primarily and we like the system they have at BMC because they are doing the correct test, they're getting the results back as quickly as possibly can be gotten back from the testing facility which is out in the eastern part of the state and also we have a good relationship with them and uh, our public health nurses who need that information quickly so they can do the contact tracing. So. Use the BMC um, link line. Uh, For those of you who may have forgotten the number, it is 855-BMC-LINK, L-I-N-K. Or if you prefer to uh, punch in numbers, it's 855-262-5465. Um, There are some places which are offering an antibody, again, to continue in the testing issue, uh, uh, there are some places which are offering to do antibody testing. I want to emphasize that antibody testing is virtually useless when it comes to combating the pandemic. The only thing that an antibody tells you is if you have had the um, infection, Sometime in the, in the past. And it takes a good two weeks for, uh, to develop enough antibody to detect it on an antibody test. So, if you think, in other words, if you think you've been exposed to somebody three days ago and go to get an antibody test to see if you've had the infection, number one, you couldn't have um, developed an infection in that period of time. It's going to take a, an average of five days to, to um, develop uh, symptoms or to develop a positive test after an exposure. And um, the other thing is that if it is way too soon to even see a development, the development of antibodies, which reflects the immune system's response to the infection. So antibody tests will, are only useful at this point from the standpoint of looking at large populations and seeing what percentage of that population has been infected, but it is virtually useless when it comes to uh, dealing with the pandemic in real time. Uh, again, the uh, governor said stay at home from 10 to five unless you have to go out for work. Restaurants have to end uh, let me I'll just finish this once restaurants have to end by 930. Um, and if you're in the middle of eating your dinner, you can go out, you have to be out of the premises by 10. And beyond 10, they can you can still do takeout
1: so i want to I want to ask you a couple questions relative to the regulations and then we'll pivot to how this is impacting the department this week but before I do that um, going back to testing so you you talked about the PCR test which is the gold standard and you talked about the antibody test which essentially is is just good for research purposes and surveillance that's like I, correct i had a physical earlier this year and just for out of curiosity because we'd had an outbreak in the department it's like hey you're taking blood anyway did i did i have this thing um But we've had some issues locally in the last couple of weeks because there are commercial entities, and excuse me if I get the language wrong, but there are also commercial entities that are doing antigen tests, which is a presumptive positive, but not as good as a PCR, right? That's exactly right. And what we're seeing locally is some false positives relative to those tests. That's
2: right. And when somebody does an antigen test, it has to be followed up with a PCR test for confirmation. That's how at this point, unreliable the antigen test is.
1: So we had a story that broke locally last weekend, I believe, about somebody who received the antigen test and quarantined, and then because they were concerned about what's going on with their family, they went and got a secondary test, and that was a positive, and eventually they had a third test, and that was a negative, and in reality, they probably never had it.
2: Right, and that's going to hinge on doing... That's going to hinge on the efforts of the public health nurses. So if somebody gets a positive antigen test and then gets, say, two negative anti- um, PCR tests, sorry, PCR tests, um, there's a reasonable chance that that person really did not have the infection. And that is going to largely hinge on our public health nurses doing uh, detailed interviewing to see if there's any plausible chance that that person actually was exposed so if for instance if you have an elderly person who is in the house 98 percent of the time and they um they have to go into the hospital for a procedure um and they um, well uh, uh, and they you know maybe they have a maybe they have a runny nose so they go they get an antigen <laughs> test They get an antigen test which turns out to be positive and then they get two PCRs which are negative. Um, In reviewing this person's lifestyle history, if it turns out that they, you know, they weren't in grocery stores, they didn't have anybody over to the house, um, they they didn't uh, have not had any close contacts with somebody who was either known or suspected to have coronavirus, it is very unlikely that a person actually is infected. So a lot of this is going to be uh, is going to swing in that pe- person's favor as not being infected based upon the history.
1: So I, I don't mean to make light of what you were saying, and I, it was my intention to chuckle. But I got this. This has probably been the worst week of 2020 for me for a couple of different reasons. And Doc, to be honest, like every time, every day I wake up, any little body ache. Any little congestion based on some of the conversations we're having, I'm like, I'm not normally a paranoid person, but this week has been rough. <laughs> like, damn it. Um, you know, you got to reduce the weights you're lifting. You know? It's
0: <laughs> <laughs> just, it,
1: things that I normally wouldn't think anything about. I'm like, did, did that person, was I with that person? How yeah. was that? And we'll talk about that in it's a couple e- of minutes, too. Yeah,
2: it's easy to get paranoid about yeah. these things. Um, but, um, you know, the, uh, the the typical signs and symptoms of coronavirus are um, a fever, uh, extreme fatigue, muscle aches, uh, it can involve a sore throat, respiratory symptoms, of course, if you're having any shortness of breath, sore, uh, did I say sore throat, sore throat, sore throat uh, even abdominal symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or a loss of taste, new loss of taste or smell uh, is is a common first symptom of people even in the absence of other symptoms so if you um, have any if you have those symptoms and if you are uh, concerned again you can call bmc link and and get yourself tested
1: so, go ahead so let's <clears throat> let's talk about the the regulations and specifically how this is going to impact our guys lieutenant so doc you and i were on a uh, on a zoom earlier this week because the regulations as you said went into effect at midnight and most of this stuff is not going to have any impact on the police department but that private residence gathering thing is is you know that's a a big deal big deal big deal uh you know the stay in your house between the hours of 10 and 5 kind of a big deal and as i said in that zoom you know is is Effective and efficient as our public health partners are, and our nurses are phenomenal, you know they need to go home. And yep. at two o'clock in the morning, that call is not going to go to the health department. It's going to go to the police department. Mm. And so um, we had to have a conversation about how the police department assists the public health department. And you know this—I guess this is one of the things that I assume people get, but it, not, even on that Zoom, some of our colleagues didn't get it. Just because we're the police department doesn't mean we can just walk into people's houses, right? Right. You know, our ability to enter people's houses is based on a couple different things from the Fourth Amendment. One is a warrant, which is
2: which is related to unreasonable search and seizure, right? right,
1: Yes, and the other is probable cause of a crime. Right. And the governor's regulations are not criminal; they're civil. And although the governor's orders and regulations are important they don't supersede or suspend the Constitution. So although the regulation and the, the communication about the regulation specifically said that local police, local law enforcement, state law enforcement can assist public health, it didn't give us blanket authority to just start crashing parties. And so we had to have a conversation. <clears throat> we needed some written documentation. And the Board of Health actually has to take action on these this written documentation in order to empower our people to assist the nurses. So, um, Attorney Pignata drafted that. It's pending. We're waiting on giving some guidance to our people, and uh, you know we'll see how that's going to play yeah,
2: out. Yeah, and that document essentially uh, designates the police department as agents of, A- the, uh, agents of the Board of Health. Agents of the
1: Board of Health. <clears throat> and, you know, so we don't think we discussed it in the meeting. What's the next step? Is the Board of Health going to convene an emergency meeting and, and vote on that, or are we just moving forward with it?
2: Um, I believe we're moving forward with it, okay. but, I, but um, I, I, uh, I'd probably have to be brought up to speed on that myself. All right, so uh, just a couple more comments here. Um, again, I can't emphasize it enough that public health officials are extremely concerned about the upcoming holiday season, and there's no question that the 10-person in a per- private residence uh, limit is designed to as a preemptive strike against people gathering in excess numbers during the thanksgiving and christmas season Uh, we do not want to uh, backpedal to uh, greater restrictions so uh, get your flu shot um, be uh and i I, and 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 again and this is more of a a, a personal pitch um uh, but you've heard it before is that Uh, Public health officials, police, everybody else who speaks the language of the pandemic um, can only do so much as as agencies. Uh, uh, Much of this is going to rest on people taking personal responsibility and recognizing that they are part of a community. And this will ultimately be successful if we have the attitude that we are all here to look after each other and protect each other Um, so be smart and do your part um if pittsfield residents have any questions they can call the health department directly if you don't get an answer right away call back again because we're getting a lot of calls the phone number there is four nine 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 four one one and thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning
1: doctor before we let you go i'm just gonna i'm gonna ask you A specific question about some conversations you and I and my staff have had in the last couple of days, which will set the lieutenant and I up for the the next segment. So I don't want to cause any alarm for our listeners and viewers. And as the doctor said, public health is doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And although we we like to consider ourselves to be a vibrant and hip, dynamic little city, sometimes the reality is that Pittsfield, like any place else in Berkshire County, has a small town. Uh, mentality in a small town feel. Right. So this week, we have become aware of two, which from the perspective of the police department is now three methods of transmission or vectors within the community. Uh, a private party and a private residence. Um, a reported potential transmission through a local eatery, and as a result of that one, we found out last night because of our detail structuring uh, somebody who was possibly in that uh, establishment then being with a construction company that we staff the detail for, so one, two, and three. Um, and now, as you know from some of our communications, we're looking at three potential sources of transmission to the department, mm. um, which puts us right back where we were in March with looking at emergency staffing plans and, and call for service reductions and other stuff. And as Many protocols and precautions as we had in place all of our protocols and precautions have to do with our people when they're on duty and what we what we found this week um you know it, 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 the, the term that we're seeing in the press is COVID fatigue mm. and so our people who work really really hard and they use their ppe and they maintain their social distancing when they're at work they're going about their lives to the best of their ability and so um you know we had a family member who attended that par- two family members who attended that party and then went home we had a supervisor who was in the restaurant and then found out a couple days later there was a potential uh, vector there and then a patron at that restaurant who went to work and we had staff detail and so now you know the police department through no on-duty encounters really is looking at potential sources of transmission. And we know that any one of those people could be asymptomatic but shedding virus, and they kept coming to work. We just, you know, there was no reason why they wouldn't come to work. So now we have to step up our precautions and our surveillance within the agency right. because we don't know. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, I after I, I pulled into the driveway last night and I got that last communication from our command text about the, the detail, I Hey, I've been training right along, and I contacted my, my professor and my coach, and I said, I don't know enough about what has happened in the last four days. I can't come into the dojo. I don't think it's fair and safe for the rest of the team for me to be coming in and out of there. Um, and we won't know for four or five days. So it's th- these are the parts that frighten me because it's the unknown.
2: Oh, sure, sure. Many people are asymptomatic or have minimal symptoms or... You know, they think it's just a mild cold. Uh, don't minimize symptoms. If you're ill, stay at home. If you're ill, get tested. Uh, it's always better to t-
1: test than uh, guess otherwise. And, I, and along that note, I want to thank you because we've had to get several people in for testing this week, and you and the rest of the public health staff have been great at helping us facilitate that. So well, thank you. Thanks for coming in. <clears throat> Thank you We are right at 9.30 Let's get another check of the weather And some station identification And we'll come back and talk about some police stuff
0: WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area Tonight, mostly cloudy Lows in the mid-40s Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour Friday, sunny Highs in the upper 60s West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Friday night, mostly clear. Lows in the mid-40s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBR-FM are provided by the National Weather Service.
3: Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union, with locations throughout the Berkshires, and online at Greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one, or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic.
0: Is your little one safe inside your vehicle? Is the child seat installed properly? Is it the correct seat for your child? Hi, this is Sergeant Mark Madeline with the Pittsfield Police Department reminding you to please keep your children safe. Follow the safety seat manufacturer's recommendations for height and weight and check NHTSA's website or our Facebook page for recommendations. If you have a question or would like your seat installation checked, please contact our department at 413. 413- four four eight nine seven zero zero extension five seven five our officers are certified safety seat installers thank you this message is brought to you by the Pittsburgh police department in cooperation with wtbr-fm that's um, probably a little false advertising that last <laughs> psa because that was likely one of those
1: something uh, that we're going to have to stop. things
0: we're going to have to <clears> throat> take
1: throat> we don't a have any,
0: close look at we don't have any underwriting or ad reads today I
1: played it. Oh, I missed it. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> All right. So let's let's stay on the topic. I'm I'm, I'm looking at an email right now. <laughs> Captain Kirchner literally emailed Dr. Kohlberg while we were in uh, in session live about the question that you were just asking. Um, so, for, and I, I got an email from a listener. L- look, it, we're not omnipotent. We're not omniscient. We don't know, right? We got the regulations at the same time everybody else got the regulations. We ramped up and took action with our local public health officials to figure out what we could do to be of assistance. So the governor's order, the governor's advisory says, stay at home between 10 and 5 unless you're going to work. That's what it says. Right. I, I can't interpret it any differently than you can interpret it if you're listening. It says stay at home between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. unless you're going to work. Does that mean that if you decide you're going to go out between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. that you know, we're going to pull you over and we're going to arrest you? No, it, that's not included in the order. right? We're going to tell you you're supposed to stay at home between those hours. right? It's about education and cooperation on the other hand based on the enforcement authority granted to us by the board of health if you have a house party and you've got more than 10 people in your house we're going to tell you to stop the party and send them home right we're gonna and then we're gonna report you to the board of health and they're gonna issue you a citation um you know it's it's common sense (laughs) we i didn't become a police officer because i wanted to be the party police that that's that's not what i had in mind and i'm no happier about what's happening in 2020 than anybody else is but that's the reality right um you know the part of the one of the parts of the order that we didn't talk about with the doctor is mask use in public regardless of social distancing right. now that's <laughs> i don't get it right i don't I don't get it. And even in some of the communications we received from the Commonwealth, they readily admit it's messaging. Right? It's it's basically to set a high, high bar. So you drive up to the state forest, you park your car, you head out into a trail, you start walking, you're by yourself, you don't have a mask on. We're going to be overflying the state forest with a drone to see that. No, we're not. And are we going to like, you know, come down and hammer somebody who's out walking their dog without a mask? No, we're not going to do that either. It's setting the standard and setting the message for what is acceptable in the Commonwealth. When I read the regulation earlier this week, I kind of laughed. If I'm leaving, if I'm working in the station and I'm leaving the station to go grab lunch or something like that. I wear my mask from the threshold of my office to door one. Right? I cross door one. I co- inside the building, I wear my mask, my face covering. I cross the threshold of door one. I come out onto School Street. I look around. If there's nobody around, my habit has been to remove my mask. If there's nobody on School Street, I don't keep my face covering on. I get up to the intersection of North Street. I stop. I look around. If there's nobody within six feet, I proceed. I get to where I'm going to grab lunch. I put the face covering back on, right? Under the new guidance, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to keep the face covering on while I'm in public, outside, regardless of social distancing. Am I happy about it? No. Am I going to do it? Yes. Because I'm supposed to model that type of behavior. And the governor has asked us to do that. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. You've been pretty busy in the last seventy-two hours um, because of of this stuff that we've been monitoring uh, relative to some of our staff. Um, yeah, you know, so for our our viewers and listeners in March and April, Lieutenant Traversa, and this is certainly not within your wheelhouse per se (laughs) but because a lot of it had to do with how we were going to facilitate communication through the dispatch center you kind of stepped up and took it you have you've kind of become our default in-house source of all things covid related right everything kind of funnels through your your little shop there whether it is patrol staff or, or somebody else and I honestly thought that you know, in June, July, when we kind of went back, came off of the emergency staffing plan. Other than the daily email list with with potential sources of transmission, potential locations that we have to be careful with, I, I thought your role in this was was kind of done, and yeah. now we're right back where we were.
0: <laughs> yeah. It. Um, so, you know, just to to clarify too for for the listeners, the the Board of Health passes along addresses where universal precautions uh, should be taken. They don't provide us with names. Um, It's simply the addresses so that if our uh, dispatch center uh, sends a police car, a fire truck, an ambulance to any of those addresses, those first responders know to mask up. Somebody in that house uh is under some sort of a a quarantine or um you know similar um situation so um we don't get the the names it's just strictly locations and um you know for the most part those addresses come in um you know fairly quickly after you know the the i guess the positive tests are established um in in some cases there's a a little bit of a delay and in the health department as it's obvious from you know the discussions with dr. Kohlberg they are running Uh, you know the last couple of weeks there is they have a lot of contact tracing to do and they get us um, the the locations of concern um, rather quickly and efficiently now Uh, it, it was you know a little bit of establishing a workflow at the beginning, yeah. you know, when this hit in March. But um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, I can't say enough about. Um, so the, I
1: just I want to pivot off of that for a second. Um, the police department, in particular, but the police department and many of our operational partners, we do a lot of communication. Like the doctor was just saying, he got 15 messages in the 30 minutes he was sitting here, right? You've heard me say, I can go into an hour-long meeting and come out with 80 emails. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we probably haven't talked about this on the program before, but we send so many text messages and group texts that Verizon shut us off. Like they basically said, you're abusing the system, stop. (laughs) Um, So we had to, a couple years ago, several years ago, we had to go out and find a a third-party application, a private vendor who could help us with internal comms for for things like overtime or notifications um and up until this year in, in 2020 right up until this year we pretty much only used it for swarm personnel uh earlier in this year kind of very right before the pandemic we expanded it and we added some non-swarm personnel who needed to be in some communications chains uh, and then when the pandemic hit we added public health right we needed a way to securely communicate with our partners on or off duty uh and then as this year has progressed we've actually added um operational groups so like county police chiefs and our state police counterparts they had, you know firing off emails to you to to add some people from ghq onto that last week um it and i, I think it was you who said it right like you you hadn't used the public health group in a couple months and all of a sudden it was blowing up
0: again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they, um, they they've had a couple of um, you know, tech issues that uh, uh brought to my attention this week and they're they're sending hundreds of messages a day. I mean back yeah, and forth.
1: Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um so let's let's stay on this for a, a couple more minutes. And I don't again, I don't want to cause undue alarm. I don't want to panic anybody, but It's nerve wracking. It's it's frightening. Right. So when we went through the the explosion of the pandemic in the spring, we really, really focused our attention on our personnel, our staff. What could we do to protect our staff force protection? And what could we do to make sure that our staff wasn't causing or. Exposing anybody else, right? The reality is we're going to be going in and out of people's homes We're going to be going in and out of businesses whether we get sick or not We could still potentially be contaminated and then the risk of cross-contamination is high So use of PPE frequent hand-washing lots of sanitizing, you know, that was our focus Um, That's different than what has happened for us this week, right? So Let's not forget, you know, we had a presidential election this week For most of the day on Tuesday, my job was to just maintain situational awareness with my counterparts from across the country because we wanted to make sure there was no civil unrest. So I'm sitting in my office all day Tuesday watching situational awareness and intelligence reports from the Commonwealth. And at the end of the day Tuesday, as I'm getting ready, you know, it was late. I I, I worked um, until I, I came in at six for Captain Grady's roll call and I worked until 9 p.m. And so I'm getting ready to leave, and I start to hear the first reports of some rumblings about some stuff that happened over the weekend. Wednesday, we pivot. Now we're back into HR stuff and regular police work, and I'm in a meeting with the patrol commanders about a situation that we're dealing with, uh, personnel matter, and there's a knock on my door, and my admin, Maggie, walks in with our finance director, or finance manager, um, and they they just got a phone call and this thing explodes internally and so basically you know what we we become aware of is that over the weekend apparently there was a uh, there was a halloween party and at least one person who was at this party is is now covid positive right so First things, you know, we don't have the damn part, excuse my language, don't have the darn party. Um, that's just, it, it, that flies in the face of all the protocols. But the part that caused the biggest concern for me is family members of two of our members were reported to be at this party. Now, we, we, we can't set any controls or regulations over our personnel's families. Right. Um, but those family members went home. And now our personnel are potentially exposed and contaminated. And we didn't find this out until Wednesday, which means that both of those people worked all three days. And now we're trying to figure out who else is a a tertiary contact now. Who did they work with that based on what Dr. Colbert described as the new definition of close contact, well, everybody. (laughs) Right, if it's in the admin spaces, that's everybody in the admin spaces, and if it's in the ops spaces, it's pretty much everybody who worked day shift. Um, And then the question is, are our sanitation and hygiene protocols up to speed so that if they contaminated a surface, it didn't get the midnight shift, the evening shift, right? And we don't know, right? That's 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 this week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so that's Wednesday. And then, oh, it's still Wednesday. So late Wednesday, another member of staff, senior member of the staff, comes in and tells me that they had been doing you know, safe, responsible, recreational stuff over the weekend. And a friend of theirs had invited them to dinner. And so they, they went to dinner. And they were at this establishment that we're now engaged in the contact tracing for. And they have just received a call from their friend who invited them to dinner that somebody else in their party has now developed symptoms and is being tested. Uh, And, you know, we're blessed that when we, you know, we fire up our communications network and we notify public health and BMC that we've got a potential exposure, they expedite it. But for the rest of the community, you know, even if you get in quickly for the test, the results are a couple of days. Right. Um, Three days that a member of our staff has been exposed to somebody who is possibly positive, how many people did they contact? And so that's where we are right now, right? It's Friday of this week and we've got outstanding tests and contact tracing going on. And we don't know. And again, I'm not being dramatic, but you know, for most of 2020, I felt really, really good. I don't think it's any irony that this week, this is the week that I'm like, is that a sniffle? Do I have a sore throat <laughs> or a dry throat? You know, yeah. It, it, Every little thing that could be a symptom is now top of mind. It's just crazy.
0: Yeah. So. And this is the time of year, at least I tend to get that stuff anyway. Yeah, right. You, you know, it's the change of seasons, the, you know, whatever allergens are in the air that I'm, that I'm well, sensitive to, it's just, it, it, it likely happens anyway.
1: Well, the reality is. <laughs> You know, I'll just use me as an example. The reality is, see, I'm coughing. I'm, you know, got.
0: Because you're thinking about it, right? I'm thinking about it. (laughs) But the
1: reality is, it's probably because I worked 18 hours on Tuesday. It, It probably doesn't have anything to do with the virus. Right. It's just, you know, a long work day. But you can't not ask the question. And again, like I said before, the doctor left. I'm sitting outside the station, in my cruiser, getting ready to go home. Last night, exchanging text messages and phone calls, trying to figure out how we're going to you know, figure this out and see if we have to go back into an emergency staffing plan or something with Director Armstrong. Then I make the drive home, not looking at any text messages or emails because hands-free law in the Commonwealth. But back into my driveway, I put my phone back up. Now there's a whole bunch of new messages. and You know what? I'm probably fine, but the reality is that I've probably been exposed to somebody in the last four days I, I i can't risk going about my normal day-to-day activities and it, exposing my friends right it, it, that just would be wrong so you know i'm supposed to train last night tonight and tomorrow morning and until we get a handle on what the vector may have been or might be
0: I, i'm not doing that yeah it's um it's it's uh Anxiety producing for, you know, I think everybody. And, you know, I think the doctor mentioned that, yeah, you know, COVID, uh, what was the, the term? COVID fatigue. COVID, COVID fatigue, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So let's, we're, we're rapidly
1: running out of time. <laughs> More to come on what you can expect from the police department in the next couple of weeks about whether we have to go back into an emergency staffing plan or if we're going to revert to the call for service reduction that we did in the spring uh, and start handling a lot of stuff with online reports and phone calls. Um, Just, you know, my my inclination based on the message thread from last night is, yes, if you have non-life-threatening, non-injurious stuff in the next couple of weeks, Expect a phone call instead of a response, um, because we just we need to back off of that a little bit. And if you can handle it by reporting it to us online, please do. Um, I don't want to spend the entire program talking about COVID. We don't have a lot of time left. So I told you yesterday afternoon when we were trying to decide kind of where we were going to go with this that yesterday morning um, I had and it didn't. I thought about this last night. I have been a police instructor. In some capacity for 20 over 20 years and I've been a use of force instructor um, for nearly that entire time like 19 or 20 years is one of the first uh, is one of the first certifications I obtained as a trainer and it didn't occur to me until last night that I have never been required to recertify as a use of force instructor Now, as a defensive taxes instructor, yeah, every two years. a firearms instructor, every two years. Um, Several other of my disciplines to go back periodically and and do an update. But that one never was required to do an update. And even though for most certifications you have to renew the certificate, you have to go in and get the uh, new hard copy of the certification every couple of years, never, not that one. 2020, (laughs) yep. Every use of force instructor in the Commonwealth required to research. Great uh, year to
0: start that, huh?
1: <laughs> well, no, um, it's because it's because of 2020. Yeah. They they wanted to get every use of force instructor in front of the coordinators. So use of force used to be a standalone entity, but it existed under the um, guidance and jurisdiction of defensive tactics. So defensive tactics had a statewide coordinator. Firearms had a statewide coordinator, but the defensive tactics coordinator was responsible for writing and maintaining use of force. This year, the the MPTC carved out use of force and appointed a new use of force coordinator, uh, who happens to be a a friend and trusted colleague of mine, uh, Officer Chucky T'Chara. And so Chucky decided every use of force instructor in the Commonwealth had to get in front of the coordinators and go through the program. So we did that yesterday morning. Um, I was very very proud to to sit in that with 60 of my counterparts from along the, around the commonwealth and recognize that in the commonwealth of Massachusetts we do use of force very well we teach use of force very well the the high profile incidents that have led to a lot of the controversy in 2020 um, that have happened elsewhere in the country. Things like that are incredibly rare in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's not an accident. It's because of the diligent and hard work of the coordinators and the trainers. You've heard me say this in in in-service this year, the way we teach integrated use of force models de-escalation, it incorporates de-escalation. And we've been doing that for over 20 years. And it shows in the in the uh, number of use of force incidents and more importantly in the lack of use of force incidents um but not only was i incredibly proud to be a a trainer in the commonwealth uh, officer gainer and i were both in the session and she was texting me and messaging me as we were going through some of the material i'm incredibly proud of where pittsfield is relative to the rest of the commonwealth The work that we have done, particularly in the last three years with ICAT, Integrating Communication Assessment and Tactics, the work that we have done to push training and equipment to the lowest possible levels, the commitment we've made to increasing full deployment of tasers onto the belts of our our operations personnel, uh, Pepper Ball, bringing that back online, less lethal technology, the work that we're doing to explore some um, alternative restraint technology, we're way far ahead of even some places in the commonwealth way far ahead Uh, and that isn't to say that we don't have work to do we can always do it better but we're in a really good position so
0: and uh i I know we have some plans to continue that with with some additional equipment and training I, i think it's it's good momentum you know so earlier earlier this year um
1: after after the the death of mr floyd I was in some police advisory review board meetings and i was doing some follow-up um, working sessions with some individual members of the board and one of the members asked me a question and i, I was and he happens to be a sci-fi fan like i am and i wasn't being facetious but i i said to him like you know listen in an ideal world i would be able to issue my officers a star trek phaser and tell them set phasers to stun and We would encounter somebody who was violent and agitated and potentially armed and we would zap them with the phaser and And they would fall to the ground and we would take them to the hospital But that technology doesn't exist. It doesn't exist and well, we may all wish it did it doesn't and the reality is that people are gonna call and they are going to ask police officers to respond To people who, while they may be in crisis, are violent and potentially armed. And there is no surefire, guaranteed, safe way to overcome violent armed resistance and and guarantee that there's not going to be a loss of life. It's just not reality. And it's tragic. But we have to have that conversation. Yes, we we can do things like de-escalation. We can use time distance and barriers to avoid having to use lethal force but the fact of the matter remains that if the subject chooses to act in a way that exposes the officer or somebody else to threat of death a decision has to be made a decision has to be made very quickly very quickly um and until the star trek phaser exists sometimes that decision is going to incorporate a firearm and deadly force and you know that's where we are on this day in 2020
0: right.
1: so um but you know the faster we can get less lethal on scene the faster we can get the pep ball on scene if we can get the bolo wrap, if, if if we can if we get that funding and we can get the bolo wrap, game changer yeah we, we haven't uh we we posted the video of the t and e of the bolo wrap in February. I might have to go back and repost it again because that was so cool. Uh, you know for our our viewers and listeners, the bolo wrap is essentially a device that allows us to remotely that allows law enforcement to remotely restrain people you basically you know pin their arms to their side and wrap up their legs uh, from about 20 feet away so that's uh we're working on that uh, we've we've done the E. e we're requested some funding we're moving in that direction more to come on that yep all right lieutenant we got a couple minutes left what's on your agenda for the weekend
0: to be determined. To be. It's yeah. going to be beautiful. You yeah, guys see uh, how the, the, the weather actually pans out here. It's supposed to be um, beautiful. Yeah. Crazy beautiful. Yeah. It is the Berkshires, though. So. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Wait five minutes. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Let's see. How about um, you? Well, I'm not training, so that means that I have to get my exercise in another way, so that probably means heavy weight on my back walking long distances. There you go. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. This might be, you know, given, given the week that we've been through, I've I've been keeping my ruck marches to about six miles since spring. Uh, Got the weight up a little, just under fifty pounds. But my my best ruck march of 2020 was 13 miles. This might be the weekend to revisit that. Yeah, there you go. Takes a long time to walk 13 miles, (laughs) but. It takes a long time to walk 13 miles that I'm not thinking about COVID. Yeah. (laughs) So, maybe. Um, Cultural Pittsfield this week with the one minute we have left. First Friday's Art Walk is tonight. There's a new mural on Melville Street. Go check it out. Uh, Check out the paint boxes. Berkshire Museum's got the uh, Art of the Hills Awards going on this evening. There's uh, a dance for social justice. Ollie's got some stuff going on. Farmer's Market is this weekend. Check out the Cultural Pittsfield, Cultural Pittsfield This Week newsletter for all things to do. Uh, I saw on social media last night that um, Lennox was just named one of the top destinations uh for Winter Visits by Travel and Leisure Magazine. Mm. Living in the Berkshires, living the 413. Congratulations to our neighbors to the south in Lenox. For our listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in this morning. Join us next week for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD. Be well, stay healthy, be kind. We'll see you next week.